Bow. Hi everybody. I'm gonna let's see if I can do this. I'm gonna do this reading very quickly, and then we'll get on with our conversation. Um, all right. Let's see here. All right. Uh, okay. This is. Um, I'm gonna read the uh, last story in the book, um, which I picked only because it is the one that has the least amount of dialogue, so I don't have to like uh, attempt to to act or anything. So it's just mostly narration and. Uh, doesn't look like there's any... At every other event on this tour, there's been families with like little kids in the front row, and I have to tell them that this is a hard PG-13. <laughs> uh, let's see. I don't know if this is working or not. Okay. Yeah, it's actually, it's not backwards. It's fine, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so this is called Intruders. <clears throat> Between my... Oh, and I'm, I, I took the uh, narration off the, uh, off the panel so you don't have to uh, see it while I read it. Between my second and third tours, I came back to a bunch of bullshit and not much else. I had a cousin who let me crash in her basement. She was married with three kids. One night I heard them all talking about me through the ceiling and some of the things they said just about killed me. I ended up at a place called Extended Stay America, out by the car dealerships and strip malls. Right across the freeway was an in and out a Krispy Kreme and a Panda Express. I figured worse came to worse, I could always eat myself to death and the autopsy would still come back clean. One of those places, that's where I ran into the girl, whatever her name was. I bluffed my way through about 10 minutes of small talk before it finally clicked. She was someone's kid or niece or something. She house sat for me and Maria that time we went to Catalina. <clears throat> I didn't like the idea of someone staying there, but Maria had a thing about leaving the apartment empty. I was supposed to go pick up the keys from the girl when we got back, but I kept putting it off. Then she offered to drop them by sometime, and then Maria was going to get them, but eventually we all just forgot about it. They were just copies anyway, made at the hardware store for a buck apiece. Standing there in the parking lot, I should have just backtracked and explained everything, but the right moment never came. I guess I got swept up in her excitement and didn't want to make things awkward. You can just read that. <clears throat> Back at the hotel, I stared at the keys for a while, threw them in the trash, and went to sleep. Next morning, I woke up, dug the keys out of the trash, and caught a bus into town. The cafe across from our apartment didn't sell coffee anymore thanks to the new Pete's up the block. Now they specialized in crepes, smoothies, and some shit called bubble tea. I was dying for a coffee, but the truth is I was just there for the view. It was depressing to see everyone on the same hamster wheel, go to work, come home, repeat. I tracked the guy in our old place for a week, and the only thing that changed was the color of his suit. No one really gives a shit about renters, but a decent landlord will rekey the locks as a basic security measure when a place turns over. The old Chinese guy would have done it. Everything went downhill when he croaked and his scumbag kids took over. We had to mail our keys to the daughter to get our deposit back when we left, but so what? <clears throat> Sorry. It smelled different. That's what I noticed before anything else. Once I made sure the place was empty, I opened a few windows to air it out. Everything was upgraded, repaired, redone. Maria would have loved it. Things that we learned to live with, like the peeling paint in the bathroom and the broken light in the fridge, had all been taken care of. But there was enough that hadn't changed. Same fixtures, same appliances, same shit brown carpet in the bedroom. I found the hole in the wall that I'd punched and then puttied over. The bathroom shelf I put up was still there. The guy even kept the cobwebby piece of 2 by 4 I used to prop the kitchen window open. I could have snooped around, turned on the computer, rifled through the drawers, but that's the line I wouldn't cross. There's a million things I could have done, but I'd satisfied my curiosity, and that was that. I couldn't sleep that night, and the same stupid thought kept rattling around in my head, that the guy would come home and notice the missing egg. Of course, the probability of that was slim, and plus, what was he going to do, call the cops to report it? But I'd been careless, and it nagged at me. I couldn't do anything about it until morning, and that made it even worse. The kid at Safeway wouldn't just sell me an egg, so I bought a dozen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I went too far. 
I put one in my pocket, tossed the rest, and when the coast was clear, went back to the apartment. It felt good to solve a problem, to make something right, no matter how small. After that, I guess I fell into a routine just like everyone else. The guy at the bubble tea place started making coffee again just for me. Some days I'd bring a lunch with me, always making sure to clean up and remove any trash. I set the alarm on my watch to avoid any overlap. I sketched a floor plan and worked out some exit strategies just in case. But for the most part, it's hard to say how I passed those hours, to be honest. That one day I'd actually fallen asleep when it all started. I almost answered the door out of habit. It was a kid, probably high school age. I figured he was looking for a donation or a signature on a petition. He rang the doorbell a few times, then knocked again before giving up. A few minutes later, I heard the screen from the bathroom window clattering into the bathtub. By the time I got there, the kid was halfway through the window. I reacted on pure instinct like it was still my home to protect. It felt like the power coming back on after a blackout. I was 100% in the right. Whatever happened, the kid had it coming. He was sloppy and scared, but he managed to think on his feet. It was a gift, like he'd just given me permission to turn it up a notch. Still, I held back. The last thing I needed was an ambulance showing up there. The kid had me over a barrel, and he didn't even know it. He tried to make a break for the window, but by that point, he was struggling. I walked down the hall and opened the back door. Cool air blew in from the alley. I don't know what I was expecting exactly. Did he understand how lucky he was? After that, it was a race against the clock to get everything back in order. It took longer than I expected, and all I wanted to do was get out. I was just about done when I realized I'd depleted the guy's cleaning supplies. It was a long afternoon. The last day, I was later than usual. I can't, I can't remember how it all started, but I got into a little squabble with the guy at the cafe. He made a comment, a little passive-aggressive dig, and after all the money I'd put in his coffers, it bothered me. The lights were on in the apartment when I got there. That should have tipped me off. As I moved toward the kitchen, I heard a series of sounds, a thud, something clattering across the floor, a moan. She must have been at least 80, maybe older. Was she the guy's mother, his grandmother? She started screaming in some language I didn't know, and she wouldn't stop. I tried to help her up and make sure she wasn't hurt, but she kicked and spat at me and shrieked even louder. I wanted to apologize and explain everything, but most of all, I wanted to disappear. I locked the door behind me when I left. I listened for sirens, almost hoping that I'd hear them. I walked walked up the block into the stream of oblivious, happy people with their families, their shopping, their chatter. And starting right there, I tried my best to become one of them. Thanks. And uh, now we'll see if we can get Tunde to come down here. <clears throat> Tunde. <laughs> All right. Tunde, ladies and gentlemen. So here's a here's a weird thing that happened this afternoon. Um, I I moved here a year and a half ago um, from New York, and I left in kind of a panic. And I went to a storage space that I hadn't been to in eight years, and for some reason thought I needed everything. So I brought it with me. So I'm in the process now of throwing all of it out. Yeah. So you know, going through and you know, you find a lot of comics that you're just not you don't want to hold on to. Yeah. A lot of stuff that you do want to hold on to. You can throw out my stuff. It's okay. I would never. I would never do that. And if I rescued several issues of Optic Nerve from certain death. Um, but I found... Uh-oh. Now I'm nervous. No, don't be nervous. Um, I hope I brought it as well as found it. Oh. There's this, which is Optic Nerve number three, published in... 1996 and 
since there's a listing for the tour you're about to go on with Seth. In 96, In 96, yeah. um, I have the exact date that I met you. That's right. In this book, which is September 26th. 1996, which yeah. is 19 years ago, yeah. well, which is so messed up. Yeah, at Jim, Jim Hanley's <laughs> Universe in, in Manhattan. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was uh, the first time that I'd gone on any kind of book tour, and um, most of the events were um, uh, a lot less full than this. They were uh, in comic stores in places like Albany, New York, uh, where we overheard the owner calling in his friend saying, hey, remember if I said I might need you to come in and pretend like you're... <laughs> <Just> be a body. <laughs> yeah. uh, but when Filler. we got to Manhattan, uh, Tunde was one of the, the, the handful of people that was there, and um, we ended up going out to dinner with a bunch of us. Yeah, yeah, went out, a bunch went, of people. Went to some awesome brewery in, in Times Square or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were nice enough, you and Seth were nice enough to invite me and my friend along. I think I'd given you a comic that mm-hmm. I did, and I remember you said nice lettering, and it made me like you so much. <laughs> After, um, it's not that I went through a long period of not liking you, <laughs> but I I have to, um, it's not a confession, there was a 20, is it 20, the Duran and Quarterly? Yeah. Just yeah. It was the 25th anniversary um that one, this huge there thing, is. brick, yeah. um, 20, 25th anniversary compilation mm-hmm. special. I don't even know. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is. Anthology, omnibus, yeah. um, from Drawn and Quarterly. And um, Tom asked me to, to submit a story about Adrian um, to him. And the story that I had was um, about... So I... I a very long time ago, and I still kind of try to keep it up. Um, I wanted to be nothing more than a cartoonist. That was all that I wanted to do. I drew all the time. I have a shit ton of comics I'm still trying to throw out <laughs> today. Um, and I remember coming across Optic Nerve when I was in college, and I think it was the this number the the. Uh, I think it was the last mini comic yeah. of it. Okay. It was that like seven sense. or mm-hmm. something right, like that. Yeah. Um, and it was so nicely put together and so just so well done. And somewhere along the line, I remember looking and finding uh, an indication of how old Adrian was. <laughs> and I, it, I just remember, how old were you? At that time, I was 18... 19, something like that. Yeah. So there's 19, I'm holding something that was, you know, like in my mind, I thought you were, you know, the same age as the Hernandez brothers or Dan Klaus or something. I was like, this guy's at least 10 years older than me. How come I haven't heard of him? I was like, because he's six months older than me. Just left his mom's house. Just left his mom's (laughs) house. And I hate him. (laughs) Completely hate him. Um, But I should say that when I... S- tell someone that I really like the lettering in their comic that it's not a backhanded compliment. Oh, man, I, I know. find that that uh, Believe me. that lettering is often one of the most overlooked parts of, of cartooning and when I see someone who is doing it well and with style and with personality that uh, that really sets them ahead of the pack in my mind. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I appreciate that coming from you. Yes. But also I should just say that uh, that that evening was memorable just because he was such a nice guy and we, we had a fun time hanging out. But then you know, we didn't really keep in touch, but over the years, to just keep seeing you pop up yeah, in yeah. movies and in, in uh, you know, on shows and, and, and with the band and everything has been uh, just, you know, really exciting for me just as a fan. And, and it's been oh, uh, awesome. really, really great to see all your success. Thank you. Uh, likewise. Um, <laughs> okay. No, because I followed, I mean, seriously, and that's it. See you guys, we're going to dinner. Um, but yeah, I have, this is a tiny bag of what, that's amazing. What I have of yours. Wow. Um, so, I don't know. I'm going to start okay. in here. Oh, God. Don't open it. I will open it. All right. Um, oh. <laughs> you, you did it, I did, man. yeah. I'm not. That's true. So, this is uh, oh. the reprint of 32 Stories, the deluxe box box set I don't know why. Why did I do this? 32 Stories. And anyone for anyone who doesn't know... What these are, these are the original issues of the Optic Nerve mini-comic. 
which you started when. I'm going to keep grilling you about age because it really bothers me. Uh, how, I think they still, how much you've done. I think the first one came out when I was, a, I want to say, a, a sophomore in high school. 1991. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. a junior. A junior in high school. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so this is a picture of you. Oh. Is that junior year? I think so. I'm sorry to do that. You printed it. I know. I'm only holding it up. I know. I know. So that's you. I didn't think and I'd actually have to go out and promote that. I thought I was just sending send it, it off to the my world. publisher and never see it again. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. It's not. Um, can I read the? Yeah, can I read about the author? Oh. So this is yeah, 1991. About the author, circa 1991. <laughs> Adrian told me, how, do, do, how many times have people messed up your last Every name? time. It's okay. It's me right. too. It's all right. Well, yeah, we're both in the same boat probably. Okay. Yeah. Please for me. Okay, here it is. Tomina. Tomina. Yeah. I, the main, I've, I found, <laughs> one of the things that happened was a few years ago, um, McSweeney's or The Believer did this feature where they said, we're going to give the definitive guide to how to pronounce people's hard-to-pronounce last names. Yeah. And they didn't consult me, and they, they did up. mine wrong. Yeah. It's hard. So, yeah. So the E is in, uh... Yeah, okay, okay I don't even remember this, but go ahead. Okay. Adrian Tomina was born in 1974 in Sacramento, California. Presently, he is a junior at Rio Americano High School, where he excels in mortifying social blunders and obsessive attention-seeking doodling. He regularly eats his lunch alone in the photography darkroom under the pretext of, quote-unquote, really needing to get caught up on some assignments. Although he is an avid comic book aficionado and an aspiring cartoonist, he keeps these facts secret from his classmates for fear of further social ostracism. <laughs> his arrival on campus is usually signaled by the explosive backfiring of his yellow 1973 Chevrolet sports van, which some fellow students ironically refer to as the sex machine. <laughs> Adrian can be found on weekends wearing a powder blue and pink apron while bussing tables at Carpali's restaurant. His best friends are Ozzy, an old English sheepdog, and Chibi, a white-haired fox terrier. That's right, yeah. And this is the picture on the back. I don't know if you can see it, but... Oh, yeah, that was when I was uh, best artist in my high school yearbook. And, and you I, really... I posed with a giant so paintbrush. He's yeah. holding a giant paintbrush. You were in a members-only jacket. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> You look really, you look very cool. Yeah, it was a proud picture. moment. You really did it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that makes me want to ask, when did you, so that's, that's high school. Yeah. When did you start? When did you get interested in making comics or your cartooning, period? Uh, well, I was doing, I was interested in doing comics since I was a little kid, but I was interested in kind of replicating the comics that I was reading at that time, which were superhero comics, and I thought... Mm -hmm. I was going to grow up to work at Marvel Comics and draw Spider-Man or something like that. Um, but around 12 or 13, I kind of had a, a turning point and got more interested in alternative and underground comics, and that's kind of the start of what that stuff is. Sure. So I feel like it's sort of two, two different starting points because a lot of the stuff that I, the skills that I tried to learn in the first phase of my interest as of a, uh, in comics to sure. not really carry over. Because I, I had studied like, how to draw way. comics the Marvel, the Marvel way. way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I know it. I know. I still have... all you can draw are muscle-bound guys in tight underwear. I know. And now my comics look like the panels that they say, don't do it this way. Like, don't yeah, draw exactly. Doctor Strange just walking into a room. Yeah, you have to don't be, do like, that. From Please. The, the, a, worm, a worm's eye view or a bird's eye view, but don't just show him don't walking into show a room. Him. Yeah. <laughs> you have to levitate a little bit. Yeah. Um... So what, who did you see that made you um, realize that that was a, you know, that um, alternative comics were a viable thing? Because I remember seeing, having the experience of going into a comic store and seeing, uh, someone gave me the first issue of Drawn and Quarterly, yeah. actually. And that was kind of this crazy revelation to me because the same way I'd gone from like Punisher War Journal mm -hmm. and this guy's gonna fucking kill everyone. Mike it's Zek. great. Mike, Mike Zek. Zek. Yeah. Punisher War Journal. Todd McFarlane. Yeah. All these fools. Yeah. And then I, uh, you know, went into Phantom of the Attic. It's the name of this, this oh uh, my God. store in Pittsburgh. Um, and I went in and, you know, the guy, the clerk, this guy Jeff, who is a lot like, you know, the comic clerk in The Simpsons. Yeah. 
so when I mean seriously, yeah. so I'm not I'm not making fun of him. Um, but he would always kind of be like, you know, he's like, well, check this out. You know, you're you're doing this. Check this out. And I had something like a Swerve Driver sticker on my sketchbook or something. He's like, oh, you like uh, alternative, alternative music? Yeah. And I was like, I, yeah, I guess I guess I do. He's like, you listen to the college radio station? It's like I, I do. And um, he said, I think you like this. Check it out. And he um, gave me this first issue of Drawn and Quarterly, and uh, it had. You know, there's a woman wearing a beret. She's very tortured, you know, pretty much saying, what am I doing with my oh, life? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. Anne Bernstein. Creator of Daria. Yeah. Daria, yeah. yeah. Creator Daria, yeah. yeah. Um, and I just, you know, took it, and I was like, okay, I'll check this out. I don't I don't really get it. And then I got home. It's flipping through, and, you know, there are a lot of... First off, it was black and white, and I opened that, and at the time, I was just like, ugh, black and white. Yeah. Why would anybody do it? It's not a comic. And... Um, you know, and then slowly found myself. I remember being downstairs. I started reading it um, in like the dining room of our house, and then very slowly, as I it kind of went through it, I realized that I didn't want my parents to catch me reading this because there was a a Joe Matt comic. In oh it. yeah. And I don't know if you guys know Joe Matt, but he is I'm very scanning the crowd now on the off chance that Joe it, Matt is here. Oh, is he here? I don't think so. All right. If you, I mean, you did it, man. You can't yeah. hide behind. That's your work. But he, um, it's very detailed autobiographical comics about um, his sexual proclivities and uh, how much trouble you know that's caused him in his life. Yeah. Yeah. So I realized I was just like, this is crazy. But it was also the first time I'd ever seen, you know, just straight ahead autobiographical, you know, cartooning. And that it never occurred to me that you could do that. You know, Ziggy is not the yeah. dude who draws Ziggy. Um, but <laughs> Tom <laughs> Wilson. Tom. <laughs> uh, small. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I had a similar experience. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. It's interesting talking to younger cartoonists now who it's almost like they have too much at their fingertips of like they, can, they can access any comic and and uh, the idea of like for me in in the pre-internet world of sort of finding one little thing that was kind of cool like uh like love and rockets and then through that finding interviews where they recommend one other comic oh, that totally. leads me to some other thing and um it was like a long process but i think um it really for me started uh with with love and rockets by the hernandez yeah, brothers yeah. um and i Really, I mean, they were just inspirations on their own, but I was so grateful that in one... In, it, it, several times they did this, that in the inside cover, they, they would either recommend comics that they liked mm -hmm. or albums that they were listening to or yep. things like that. And it sort of really uh, set, set, a, set a course for me in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so that was, that was uh, really the turning point for me in terms of what I was aspiring to be as a cartoonist it, it was like within one year i went from wanting to draw you know batman or whatever into wanting to be the hernandez brothers mm -hmm. it's also a um, crazy age for that because you are finding out about so much music and yeah. so much art and literature that's just formative yeah. you know like I, I think about that time and so many many things are presented to me aesthetically are directly linked to me being any kind of creative person. Yeah. Um, does it hold up? Do you do you still listen to the same music that you liked then? Or does some it, things. Yeah. Yeah. Can I? Oh, there's actually something in here where you describe what music. No, 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 no. We're not Come on. No no no, 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 no. We have to. Not with you, especially we, not with no, you. Here. Why with, no, why would. No, 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 no. We got to do it. No, no, We're doing it. It's too late. No, we can't do this. It's about to happen. We can't do this. It's not a bad thing because I actually remember seeing it and thinking, okay, I'm just going to read it. So when I started working for Drawn and Quarterly, don't, don't. It's the next thing in the. But you can go on about that. When did you? Okay. Well, while I'm looking for this, yeah, when well, did you start? When did you start? When did you make something and realize? Um, well, I can tell you this. You, I remember reading that um, your brother was the first person to give you positive yeah. feedback. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of you know the older brother or sister usually kind of can help that or crush it. Yeah. No, I, I uh, my uh, my brother was responsible for. Uh, uh, a lot of things because he was the one who was bringing comics into the house when I was a kid mm -hmm. uh, and they were um, not comics that I'm, I'm really a fan of now but they were what sparked my interest and sort of um, 
you know, was the first step towards me arriving at, at, at the kind of work that I wanted to do later in life. Uh, and, and yeah, he was my, my first audience. He's eight years older than me, so he was, um, you know, I sort of, his opinion meant very much Completely. to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to, 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 for him to create an atmosphere where I felt comfortable showing him, the, the drawing stuff I felt always fine with. Like I could leave my drawings writing. out. But writing, like trying sure. to actually tell stories um, was really, really nerve-wracking for me. And so yeah, yeah. Uh, to, I, I, I'm amazed by people now who can start their careers by just th throwing their comics online and just opening it up to the, was, the comments section. Of, I was talking to someone about that just yeah. about music like a, a month ago. I need like a very soft, a soft opening, like a restaurant where like you have your, your friends and family <laughs> come in. Tell someone about it gradually. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, so I don't, I don't, I probably would have quit if I instantly just had I was, real yeah. criticism. <laughs> I was talking to, um, you know, the band Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's. Yeah. So I was talking to Nick Zinner about this a little while ago and I just said, would you have done anything if you could, you know, if you put your first demo tape online and, you know, thousands or millions of strangers could just kind of judge it and bring it to you and he just looked at me, he's like, hell no, yeah. never, no. Yeah. Especially at a certain time and like, I think we're all, we, the thing we all have in, in common a lot of my friends too is just kind of, you know, you kind of crumple like a piece of paper yeah. at a certain age where you're just like, oh, I'm too sensitive. It's mm. gonna know. You're just I'm, I'm still at that age. I I'm yeah. still there. I yeah. can't stand it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess it's nice. I think that it's also a more direct route to a lot of praise and encouragement now too. You can oh, have this online online community, but yeah. Um, but for me, I would just focus on the one the one negative one. I'm sure, and be like, okay, that's enough. I'll oh I'll no, I would <laughs> totally done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of speaking of things you don't like, I found the the music list. You can't no, look no, at no, it. No, 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 no. Let's. I swear to God. Let's. Let, can I just preface by saying this is one of the things I found that made me think <laughs> if I met this guy, probably could hang out with him. Uh, uh, and this we were, is from somebody who looked at the ground a lot yeah, we and were, didn't want to. Hang out with anybody? How did how all. did you in in that book? Well, how did you describe yourself as like the most pretentious? The, oh yeah, the most pretentious. Uh, what was it? Obstinate black punk in North Allegheny, <laughs> Pittsburgh. So a lot of probably also the only. I was going to say yeah, a lot of competition was, for that title, <laughs> which is super punk yeah. actually. Right. You know. um, but here's okay. oh, this is, shut up, knock it off, stop it. I'm not going to read what came before it. Yes. I'm just going to read <laughs> the yeah. names. So, uh, this comic was... Uh, no, no, no. Just, just stop just it. The top's the title. I'm going to read the titles. It was drawn under the influence no, of... That's God. not That's not bad, dude. <laughs> I think for the of uh, Big Star, um, Record, Radio City, Third and Live. It's great. BC Boys, Check Your Head, Paul's Boutique. It's great. Lemonheads, It's a Shame About Ray. Okay. They had their moments. <laughs> Matthew Sweet, girlfriend. Okay. He had exactly one moment. <laughs> Sugar, Copper Blue, a good idea. Great. Juliana Hetfield, Hey Babe. I love that. I love that record. Yeah? I was made fun of. I love that okay. record. Pixies, all albums, naturally. Pavement, Slanted and Enchanted. Hey, that's good. That's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Stone Roses. Stone Roses turns into stone. Great. And... The last one, Cypress Hill. Yeah. And I see, I remember I read that and I was like, oh my God, I have all of those. Oh my God, is, I love this guy. I have all of these. Um, so I guess that can, well, it's also of the time. But it's very of the time, yeah. Um, I, I cringe for a million reasons. Uh, but one is that it, that's really not an honest list of my taste. That was me very consciously trying you, to be cool let's do and, this. and curating. Let's, do let's yeah. just do this. Yeah. They might be giants? No. Damn. <laughs> yeah, me neither, dude. Yeah. <laughs> some, some hot garbage right but there. But you knew, you, you, yeah. You would have you curated your list from that time, right? Like, you would have known that there were certain things that... That I should never play for anyone? Yeah, oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So that, that, that it's not so much what's on the list, but it's the fakeness of it. The fact that I knew that well, you know, those that's would what you paint me to, as yeah. a certain kind of guy that I really wasn't. And also, you know... But attract you to make you attractive to a certain kind sure. of person who yeah. is also that you was know. throughout throughout that time. I'm telling you, yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You're like you're 
A girl, you I'm shave to, the sides of your head and yeah. wear all these band stickers. I, I was, Please, God, look at me. I was just, re- I was just remind. I was telling my wife about this recently, and she thought this was the funniest thing, which is that around the same period, uh, I was uh, really infatuated with one of my classmates, and I knew that she was. I from her, I knew that she was interested in Morrissey, mm-hmm. who I had never heard of, mm-hmm. didn't know anything about, but I knew that that was her favorite, and the local alternative radio station was giving away tickets when, to when he came to town. So I actually sat there using my old phone and like called in and got the right, <laughs> was the right caller and won the tickets. You won Morrissey tickets? I won Morrissey tickets. Damn. And brought them to school. And when I tried to explain to her what had happened, some I don't remember what, but somehow she ended up taking both the tickets. Oh, man. <laughs> that is... And being really grateful. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, lady. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of those things where if you actually made a yeah, it's strip too, about it's it, too broad. people would just be like, no, that's I not know, real. I know. Just, you're just crying. I feel like you're, I've got a million things in my life that I couldn't use as material because it seems too much like a sitcom yeah, or something. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I guess I can ask you about that. So, in you finished these around the time you got to college, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think I started. I switched over from self-publishing to working for Drone and Quarterly when I was about halfway through college, when mm-hmm. I was uh, sophomore. Yeah. And when did you start? Um, so yeah, so you're sophomore when Drone and Quarterly starts. Yeah. Now, how did you had you submitted a lot? Had you been submitting to anywhere else? No, I I, I was like kind of a Drone and Quarterly fanboy at that point. Mm-hmm. Like I they they had sort of a like a perfect roster where I was I, I loved every title that they published and just had a, a, a fantasy of being part of that that team. Mm-hmm. So I I would send copies of my comics to them as I completed them and. Um, uh, the, the initial contact was a, a rejection letter from Chris Oliveros, who who was and is now not the publisher of John Quarterly. He's not in charge he, anymore. He stepped yeah. down recently, but um, yeah, and and I, I've published that letter because uh, I held on to it, and there was some. It's in here. Yeah, there were some All people right. who thought like, "Oh, you really you're really sticking it to him by publishing that," as if like it was some. Like, I was hurt by it, and now I'm getting back at him or something. Right. But it was the opposite. Like, it, it really it meant the world to me to get a handwritten letter from him, even if it was sure. a rejection. Um, the fact that he was a human being who... Well, acknowledged it. Yeah, acknowledged you know. it. And um, and he also, in that letter, said that he'd been following your work. Yeah, and had some... Already. I think he had some constructive criticism that was actually yeah, useful. And mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, that was uh, just... It, the whole... My whole... Everything I've published has been with this one company for, for 20 years now. And um, it's been like a completely just kind of handshake deal kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, there, I would say that it's. I've always felt grateful that there was always this one aspect of my life. Like I would do commercial work or try and do other kinds of projects, but there was this one aspect of my life that I had complete trust in the people that I was working with. Mm-hmm. That that I was not concerned about anything. That I would just send the work in and let them handle it, and they, I knew they That's would do great. the best with it. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's a, it's a it was a lucky lucky break for sure. Yeah. And you're in really good company up there with um, Julie Doucet and yeah. Joe Matt and Chester yeah. Brown and Seth. And yeah, that was the initial lineup. I was I was the first guy who kind of, you know, infiltrated a little bit. Yeah, because uh, Drone and Quarterly is in Canada, and Canada has, you know, gun control, <laughs> yeah. progressive government. Yes. Um, and great cartoonists. Great cartoonists. That's what, great, they, have, that's what they have going great, for them. Great publishers, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, so when your your acceptance, you know, when you when you finally got the deal, um, what? Were you, wait, first off, were you still living in Sacramento, or were you in? I Berkeley? was in Berkeley at that point. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it didn't. It's not. Well, maybe it, maybe maybe my perception of the music industry is wrong, but it wasn't like you get signed to a, a contract and your life changes and you go buy a car or anything like that. It was just sort of like the next issue of my comic was gonna sure. I would send it off to a different place, and uh, I, I I still had two more years of college to go, so I was just um, working on the first few issues of Optic Nerve for Drawn and Quarterly mm-hmm. when I had time in, in my in my college studies. 
Gotcha. What about? I mean, was it? it did you have a, a moment like that of, of music-wise, where uh, you signed and your mm. life changed? We signed to. Well, we were signed to this uh, label called Touch and Go mm-hmm. Records mm-hmm. Um, first, and we were the first band who got signed. Um, without the people in charge having seen us play, uh-huh. which at our first show, we played our first show with The Fall in Chicago. And really? They re- I remember seeing the um, record label head just staring at the stage and going like, man, I really messed up. I really, <laughs> really did the wrong thing. Really? Oh, God. You guys were uh, not a oh, good we live were Unbearable, man. <laughs> terrible, hot garbage. Um, <laughs> But it was, you know, it was kind of this thing where, I don't know, with music it was odd for me because I wasn't ever really kind of gunning for it, you know, like I never, I thought, you know, and I also came from, you know, sort of a similar scene as the mini comic scene where it was kind of, I'm going to do all of this myself, I don't really believe in putting someone in charge of like my decisions. Right, right. So when it happened it was kind of... It was great. I think it was a matter of maybe the same thing, sending your stuff to someone else and realizing they were going to handle it like you're not, you wouldn't have to go around and hand this thing out and, yeah. and all of that. Yeah. And then it just got stupid. <laughs> but um, And then I was going to say, yeah, so, so you were living in Berkeley, working with Drawn and Quarterly. Um, when did you start doing... Well, first, let me ask you this. So... I know that you you met um, Klaus in Berkeley. Yeah. Um, was he the first cartoonist that you had actually hung out with and seen their process and technique? Was he the, was he the first person that you sat with um, that made you think, oh, A, there's, this guy's, you know, a human being and yeah. not he's not a fleet of people yeah. doing this thing. And B, this is a viable occupation. Yeah, I, I mean, I've had uh, everything about my my life as a cartoonist has been like a series of like lucky breaks and like coincidences mm-hmm. and everything and so um actually the first cartoonist that I met uh happened to be our neighbors when I was living with my mom they lived a block away and they were uh, uh, a a couple uh named Justin Green and Carol Tyler who are kind of oh, legendary yeah. in the world of underground comics Justin Green um is kind of a pioneer of very confessional uh, autobiographical work uh and, and people say he's the first yeah right? i mean he went really deep into into this uh, extreme exploration of Catholic guilt and he's got all this OCD stuff that he depicted in a really original way Um, and they happened to just be our neighbors so uh, someone put me in touch with them so they were the first that I met and um, then I moved to Berkeley to go to college and found myself living on a street kind of equidistant between the cartoonists Daniel Klaus and Richard Sala um, oh, wow. both on the same street and both about a block away from me in either direction. And uh, we uh, became... became that's so lame. Yeah, I know. Oh, that's so lucky. They're, like, they're literally two of the best cartoonists yeah, and it's, in it's, the world. You can't manufacture that experience. You, yeah. can't, you can't give that advice to a young art student, like, well, move to a neighborhood where... <laughs> You know, um, you must find Dali. Yes, go to his door, knock. Yeah, I, it, it's uh, like if it happens naturally, it's the greatest thing in the world. But of course, you can't. You, you're not going to stalk these guys and rent an apartment right next to them or whatever. No, sure. Uh, and so the fact that that, that it kind of fell into my lap, and uh, I, I never went to art school or anything. But like that, um, those years of living on that street and having really regular. Hang, hangouts with those guys is just uh, sometimes just getting coffee, but like going to use bookstores, going to the art supply store. Mm-hmm. That was really kind of like my really uh, kind of quick version of, of art school, sure. like, um, kind of firsthand uh, experience, um, which um, affected me in so many ways. Not only like I like obviously I was I, I, I became very influenced by Dan as an artist and, and emulated him in a lot of ways visually uh, but even years after I, I still feel like I really learned uh, you know more broad life things about being an artist and making uh, career choices and mm-hmm. just everything I mean th- those two guys had done everything many times before. I ever had to so like I would say what's it like to do a book signing or what's it like if 
Hollywood comes knocking at your door. Yep. Um, and so in any any case that that I've found myself in, I can that they've 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 done it, and so mm -hmm. I can um, learn from them in a lot of ways, and and that's still ongoing. It's still the case. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speak. Yeah, speaking of Hollywood coming knocking, um, <laughs> I remember. I think it was this. Maybe it was. Well, first off, the the letters pages. I know you know this, but the letters pages in the original Optic Nerve um, issues are amazing because they get printed and they get no response. They just <laughs> it's just like a straight up, you know, like demonstration of people's mental issues, <laughs> you know, like running in criticisms, just you know, straight up. Yeah. Um, but um, I remember maybe even, I don't know if we're talking about it, or, but there was maybe for the story Smoke, uh -huh. someone had wanted to write a play about it or one, like, I'm sure you've been approached by yeah. many people saying, yeah, we want to make a play. Yeah. We want to make a movie. Yeah. This is, this is great. Yeah. Come out and we can, we can rip you off in <laughs> many, many well, ways. Uh, it doesn't even now that part of the process is just skipped over. It's just like I'll find something on YouTube where someone has just made a little short film, you know. Oh yeah, or, no, I know. saw. I've seen <laughs> not 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 from your work, but I I saw something that was really a huge ripoff, and they said they didn't. They took it down after someone complained. Oh and really? Then and but then they put it back up saying it was an homage. Oh okay. Which is. <laughs> Wrong. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, I, I feel like um, maybe doing short stories makes it extra appealing for people who want to make a short film mm -hmm. and are looking for material. Because um, I, I still get a lot of requests from uh, like film students looking mm -hmm. for just material for a, a project or something like that. Um, is it? I mean, it sounds kind of dumb to say. Is it something you're interested in um, with the right people? Involved. I mean, have you? Yeah. Seen, but because you've seen so many things crash and burn too. That yeah. kind of um, should have yeah. stayed on a page. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, I, I, I feel like that that my natural element is is <laughs> being locked up in a room and, and working by myself. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, anything film or TV related is so collaborative and so social and so get it. Yeah. Uh, compromised and everything. Yeah. Group, um, group activities are yeah. suck. As a They're member bad. of a, of a band. Don't, don't ever do it. It's the worst thing you can do to yourself and your friends. Uh, so, yeah, it, like, I think, but you, you threw in the line with, with the right people. So that, that's a, that's an important, yeah. an important phrase. Um, so it's, it's, it's not something that I'm opposed to, but, uh, as as the years go by, I I do feel like that um, it's not something that I, I am single mindedly pursuing. That it's sure. more like um, you know the nice thing is that it, I think there was a difference like when I earlier in my career where comics were so uh, invisible and and made so little money and were so hard to distribute that mm -hmm. that that getting translated into some other medium seemed like the the holy grail mm -hmm. and um one of the nice things that's happened is that comics have really uh, evolved in, in their place in in north american culture and and um it's it's really a different world and so i think now that there's there's a bit of a shift where you don't feel like oh i'm I'm just a cartoonist and I want to be a filmmaker, you know, but sure. you can say like, yeah. I'm, I'm a cartoonist and, and that's, that's good enough. And it's, yeah. And I, I, I mean, I think that you were probably a big part of that being the mm -hmm. case. I don't know how you take that, but yeah. I just, I remember, I remember thinking that, um, I don't know how to put this, but you, you were kind of the bridge from it being uncool to cool. <laughs> Not not that not that that was your trajectory as a person, but yeah. just you. you yeah. were, maybe maybe it was, but it really was this thing, you know. Because I remember being, you know, like there are all these kind of uh, you know youth-oriented magazines, like a uh, Jane magazine yeah. and all these things. And I remember seeing, you know, like either seeing a review of one of your books and this, you know, it's like sassy or these yeah. real, like you know, like really. Uh, very hip, you know, it's like Chloe Savigny and then Adrian 
on the other side, <laughs> like in a, you know, in a small, right, much smaller, but, yeah, yeah. But I remember thinking, like, that's crazy, you know, that that's happening. Was that? I mean, and I know that was that strange because you were also on that on the Jane yeah, Pratt show, which, yeah, yeah, which was a talk show. It was like kind of a was it? It was, it was. On, it was on a cable network. Uh, yeah, there was a talk show on TV hosted by Jane Pratt for a little while that I somehow ended up as a guest on. And and this is... My wife has not even seen this. I have a VHS copy of it, and I will not allow her to see this. I, um, bet, it's, I bet it's online. No, it's not. <laughs> soon, soon it will be. I've made sure of that. <laughs> um, well, you know, I... I I always felt like I was writing the coattails of other guys who 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 made the the, the change happen uh, more than me, and I feel like um, the, a big turning point was when uh, Pantheon, the book publisher, put out uh, uh, Jimmy Corrigan and, yeah. and David Boring by by Chris Ware and Dan Claus, and they put them out in really nice book format, and they were suddenly sure they were on a on a shelf. They weren't in the back of yeah. the bookstore. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like uh, a lot of what people like me are enjoying now is, is directly uh, descended from, from that, that, that change in the publishing world. Cool. So that, I mean, and that, I mean, the, so I'm just thinking like working on single issues of optic nerve. I mean, it, it, was that shift something that, well, let me say the seriousness that came, you know, that, that, um, graphic novels were afforded. Yeah. Um, it, was that something that kind of, I don't want to say kept you going, but it was, it's kind of, um, were you, were you in any, evolving, were you in any way, um, did you start thinking these have to be heavy tomes, you know, I have well, to be, I have to be very serious, I have to be, yeah, you know. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, I was, um, in a lot of ways, working in reaction to the kind of comics that had dominated the, the, the medium for so long. And so I think, uh, looking back, there's a lot of my work that I think might have gone a little too far in trying to separate myself from mainstream comics sure. and, and leaching out a lot of the things that are great about the art form in, in a bid for serious acceptance. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that was fun for me when I started working on this book, Killing and Dying, was to feel like I could... Um, uh, backtrack a little bit mm -hmm. and and say okay I can do things like a, a a newspaper strip and I can have characters look cartoony or have Definitely. sweat beads pop off their head or have yeah. sound effects even I mean there are many years where I thought just that putting a sound effect in a comic was too it's too much too yeah too mainstream pop bang yeah yeah and there's tons of them in this book and yeah. um, so that this was it was fun for me to actually really you know it, it's 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 silly to to, to avoid any any tools that are at your disposal, you know, like oh, absolutely. they can, they yeah. can uh, be used in a lot of different ways mm -hmm. shouldn't be ignored. Yeah. And I think that's the interesting part about that is I remember, you know, the, a lot of readers writing in and saying, you know, you're getting too serious. I liked your funny stuff better. Someone said you had the Woody Allen yeah. syndrome where it's yeah. just like, I liked your funnier stuff better. And then people started looking at you and you got a pipe and right. down and you're depressed. <laughs> right. Um, it's kind of, you know, you evolve. You kind of keep you keep doing your thing, and then um, I really like that it's very naturally came back to because the stuff in Killing and Dying is hilarious. You know, like it's really, really, really well done. You know. Well, yeah. Thanks. I, I think that the book Killing and Dying is a lot. It wouldn't exist as it as it is if not for shortcomings because I, mm -hmm. there's a lot that. I was sick of by the end of that book and wanted to do things very differently. And so, so many choices about how I would make this book were like, what's the opposite of how I was doing shortcomings sure. um, in terms of how much I put my own personality explicitly into the book and, and how I write and draw the art mm -hmm. materials I use, everything I wanted to do differently. Um, but I was, I should also say that also the book as it exists now um, would would not exist uh, if not for becoming a parent. I think that's like the mm -hmm. main the main influence on this book is uh, having my daughters being born. And I feel like I was talking about this in an interview earlier today that um, I had a lot of anxiety about becoming a parent 
in anticipation because I'd heard a lot of stories from artists about how their children had ruined their lives and they mm. couldn't get any work done and, and slow, yeah, they had to go yeah, yeah they had yeah. to go get a job yeah. and they resented their kids forever yeah. and I assumed That's that that great. was <laughs> that so was nice. going to be the case for me beautiful tales uh, yeah. and uh, you know there's all there's there's degrees of that of course but really I feel like what I what I sense when I look at the book now is that I had for 20 years been working on comics in a certain way and I uh, painted myself into a corner a little bit of the same kind of subject matter and the same way of working and I knew that I was I knew that readers were getting tired of it and I knew that I was getting tired of it but I didn't I couldn't lift my head up enough to sort of uh, look out and see my escape from that mm-hmm. and then I feel like when the kids came along it sort of opened up this escape hatch that I didn't know about and suddenly I moved into this whole other subject matter and 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 uh, emotional areas that that I, I don't think I would have known how to write about sure. uh, prior to that mm-hmm. um, so they did they did you know destroy my house and and interrupt yeah, interrupt my work time a lot but they also really gave me a path into a different kind of story that I mm-hmm. wouldn't have found previously um, um, which I, is great oh well thank you, know, you. it's not that's it's so um no it's nice to hear that story instead of yeah the yeah or even the story from the kid who's just like i, I hated i hated the, he was always at a drawing table I yeah hated, I yeah hated no that that's person. the other side of it too yeah, yeah but that's not i've met i've met his kids and they're awesome <laughs> awesome kids yeah they 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 love him and they've um it's they're it's cool they, they just know you as as you know, the guy, the guy who <laughs> the guy who brought, who brought bagels to yeah, the but the, so so it's it's just really fun now that especially Nora's old enough to listen to music and can can correlate the songs figure it with out. you yeah and that's she cool. and she she loves it yeah oh that's good yeah that's um, nice. the, there are certain songs that resonate really well and uh, what does she like uh, she 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 likes Family Tree that song which that is, is a pretty dark, dark song right it's a dark song yeah. <laughs> I don't know That's if she's. Great. I don't know if she's picking up on the no, lyrical nuance. Um, uh, I was like, I always think if if someone under the age of eight likes a song, then it's we did a good job. That's good. <laughs> they're, they're the best judges in some <laughs> ways. They really are. I yeah. Think so I don't know if we're going too long. Oh, what, we, how much time do we have? Are we going to? Should we? I think you guys are good. Okay. Do we want to open up to a few questions? Oh, sure. I don't know. I have so much stuff. Okay. I wanna, no, no, but we don't have to. All right. Oh, okay, I'll do it real quickly. Yeah. How painful was it to write shortcomings, and how much of that stuff were you uh, had you stockpiled um, in terms of can I write about this? Is it yeah. crazy? Am I going to be able to encapsulate my feelings about this? It was not painful to write, but it was quite painful to go out and promote. Okay. And and do you want to explain? Talk to do you want to about- talk about explain to people what? Just the basic what what it is in case anyone doesn't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Shortcomings was a sort of slim graphic novel that I did prior to this book, and it was um, kind of my prickly response to fifteen years of of people asking me why I wasn't writing about being Asian American, mm-hmm. um, and uh, sort of taking up the challenge and throwing out exactly the book that I know that they didn't want. <laughs> um, and then, uh, which I felt very bold and, and, and pleased with myself about while I was in my studio mm-hmm. doing it. And then the book came out and I had to go out on a book tour and uh, face people. <laughs> and, what um, was that like? Well, it, it, was, it was hard and I think that it's really my fault for, for misjudging a few things. Um, uh, one being, uh, this this says more about myself than anything, but that I had no idea how, how disliked the main character was going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, really, yeah. I really had no idea yeah. and, and was shocked to start having the reviews show up online. It's like, asshole, prick, uh, douchebag, <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, so... And and that and then not only that but that also bleeding over into people's evaluation of the book. Yeah, you I know. See that. So it's yeah. um, and you know when when it was first released, it was sort of promoted as like this semi autobiographical tale. Right. And then after so a few weeks are... on on the road, it was like this fictional tale is a critique <laughs> of a certain. <laughs> um, 
And uh, yeah, and there were, uh, puts this asshole under a yeah, microscope. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, there were a lot of uh, experiences um, where there were people in line at a book event who I assumed were there to get a signature, <laughs> and they were there to point at a specific line of dialogue and say, "Do you believe in this, or do you oh, endorse this?" Um, uh, I had uh, uh, several. There were I, I I got married right around that time, and somehow that came out in some interview. Like I did some interview where I had mentioned that I, I had just gotten married, mm-hmm. and then on that book tour, there were several people who came up to me and said, "Is your wife white?" <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It was. It was not an open-ended question at all. Yeah. You know, um, uh, You're like like porcelain. <laughs> no, and I also couldn't judge what what would be the best answer sometimes <laughs> like what was like, kind of what was the angle um yeah <laughs> is your wife what? <laughs> uh and what i mean i think a stronger person would have uh just owned up to it and said no a lot of this is based on my own life and blah blah, blah. but yeah. i crumpled and i and i well, it's hard yeah that's, and that's tough it was tough and and with among the many things that I, I vowed to do differently with this book was to try and as much as possible um, erase myself as as an artist and and to have things be neutral aside from the, the fictional stories and I really hoped that um, the, the, the interference of thinking about who's behind the curtain or wh- how does this correspond to the artist's life would 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 be diminished a little bit and mm-hmm. it's been somewhat successful but not as I much as I'd so. hoped. No, <laughs> I, th- I definitely think so. I think especially with the pieces, um, you know, you've got then the last like ten through thirteen, you've yeah. got the main body of the stories, but then the sort of end papers that are yeah. autobiographical, and I, I think that those are, you know, they're basically about you being. Being in your life, as a yeah, human being, and a, an artist, you know, yeah. just like, but the concerns are stuff like, why isn't this, why didn't they make paper like they used to? Yeah. And what are all these fucking kids drawing on computers? <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> you didn't. That's what I took from it. Right. But it's not, it's not what you said. Uh, um, uh, yeah. And I mean, but I think it's, is it a matter of, I don't know. And I, I think this is, this is with a lot of artists, like you, there are certain things that you have within you that you're kind of, I don't really know how to go about getting that out. So you kind of just go at it full steam in a really sometimes clumsy, sometimes very cute, something, yeah. you know, way, but you, you just had to get it out of the way so you could kind of, you know, yeah. when I, when I put out that, about that book of uh, just a little jokey book about, my my wedding. At the wedding. It's well, there was book. suddenly then there were these people saying like, now you should do one about having kids, yeah. and I thought like that's that would be the worst book I ever did. Like, yeah. like you know, because people who've had kids have all had their own version of that experience, and what mm-hmm. someone finds cute about their own kids is often nauseating to other people. And um, so I just didn't want to do that. And I thought the idea of doing a book that had anything to do with that part of my life would be terrible. And um, inadvertently, I ended up doing my version of that book with Killing and Dying, which, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I hadn't calculated that at all, but there is uh, things that I didn't want to address head-on flowing through a lot of these fictional stories about, uh, you know, anxieties about about becoming a parent. And, no, of course, uh, and watching your kids grow up and what they will try to do. And, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, and it also, of course, I think, causes you to reflect on being a child to parents too so a lot of people mm-hmm. have said like oh you must be the dad character in these stories um and it, there's part of that but i think like especially with like that killing and dying story that i feel a lot of kinship with the daughter in that in that story mm-hmm. and the idea of um you know thinking about how strange it must have been for my parents to have a kid who was obsessed with doing, doing something this thing. that they didn't really know about, yeah. and they maybe kind of had no way of judging if I was any good. Did, do we want to open it up to questions very yeah, briefly? Sure. Maybe so one or two before we move on to the signing. Yeah, um, sure. Go ahead, right here. Uh, you you refer to the books as books, you know, but um, I I'm sure like a lot of us read the comics, the individual comics, and so I guess I'm curious as to how much you, uh, when you're creating these things, are creating them as books versus as the individual issues or if you're sort of just like plodding along and being like, I have enough for an issue. Okay, that's a good question. Uh, If you couldn't hear, he's asking about how 
how thought out it is, the material is in terms of being republished in book form or is it just uh, the comic and then, you know, kind of compiled at a certain point. And I think for the, 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 the first several of my books, it was uh, that here's, here's some random stuff that I've done over the last few years and let's, it's time to put it in a book. And that was always kind of bothering me. Like it was always, I always felt like a little embarrassed to sort of present those as complete books because I knew they really were just some issues that had been thrown together. Um, and I felt like I, it was one of those things that kind of nags at you as you keep plowing ahead and you don't know how to quite fix. But when I finished uh, the material that became shortcomings, I was able to take a little break from everything and I decided uh, very explicitly that I was going to be conscious of that with the next batch of material. And so I knew that it was going to be published uh, initially in comic book format, but that it was towards the goal of being a complete book of, of short stories that would all sort of make sense under one cover and have certain things that connected throughout them. And so there were certain ideas that I had that I had to actually put aside. I had There were ideas for certain stories that I had concurrent with some of these, but I thought that, that they wouldn't quite make sense and it would give it that feeling of, here's the random stuff that I did in the last few years. So those have just been put in a in a file for now and um it was it was a nice feeling to think that i was working towards something of a coherent book i mean it was it was originally supposed to be a graphic novel like that was what the what i was contracted to do um and it obviously didn't end up that way but i still wanted it to have there was some reason why these stories would all be under the same cover and and to have it um kind of take place in 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 the same world to some degree Uh, sure can you talk about uh, the Criterion Collection? Sure. Uh, he's asking about the Criterion Collection, uh, which you probably know what it is. It's just a, a, a series of really beautiful DVD uh, and Blu-rays um, that I've worked a little bit for. I don't. I don't have a lot to say about it other than that um, I was a fan and uh, you know have always been buying those movies. Like, did they ask you? Okay. Or? Yeah, and and um, I think. I'm trying to remember. I think there was something a long time ago where they came to me and it was with the idea of doing illustrations for a movie that I didn't feel I was the right match for. Um, And then I thought, well, I burned that bridge, so oh well. And then um, a few years ago they came to me with, uh, they'd found some very early uh, Ozu films that they were going to re-release and uh, uh, somehow thought of me and and sensed that I was a fan, which I I am. And... um, I, I mean, he's he's one of uh, like the main uh, non-comics influences on me in a lot of ways, and so it was really just an honor. And it was um, so I did a it's like a little small box set of of two of his early films and uh, from the Criterion Collection. There's a guy there who's a comics fan, which is how all these things happen. That we've, we've been at we're old enough that people are now in positions to give give you jobs like yeah. that or to tag put you, you on in. the cover of the New Yorker or something yeah. like that, you know? Just so that was another, another great one. And I'm sure that's the case with music now. There are guys who can put, put you on Letterman or whatever, right? Yeah, or pe- yeah, people who are just interested and say like, yeah, we want to use this for a movie or a TV mm-hmm. show or something. And it's, you know, yeah, you've been a band for 13 years. So it's, it's funny. Like you'll run into people and be like, yeah, it was a, Started listening to you when I was a, a freshman in college, that, and now I work guys, for Fox. It's been a band for you've been a band for thirteen years. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, it's really a lot. He has a show coming up this Saturday, right? Yeah, and, and, it's, it's, and it's, it's it's a big one. They so tell. Yeah, it's the last show of uh, being on tour for a year and a half. So that's then we're gonna figure it out from there and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, maybe is there one more question? Then we'll do the Q and A or the signing. Sorry, yeah, right there. Okay, he's ax- asking about uh, Tatsumi, uh, who's a Japanese cartoonist that I helped translate and edit, uh, and um, and if there's any plans to do any future work. And I am a little bit as confused as you are about that. Um, he uh, Tatsumi passed away uh, last year. Um, actually when I was finishing up this book so the the last story is dedicated to him Um, and things have gotten a little murky uh, since then about about rights and and things like that Um, and so I'm not sure I don't have a lot of control over that Uh, there are I would say 
literally thousands of pages of material that has not been translated. I mean, um, I've been collecting it uh, in various formats and the original printings and Xeroxes, and there's not only so much, but such a range of stuff. There's like full science fiction graphic novels. There's pure pornography. I mean, it's like there was a lot of things that he was doing just for a paycheck that uh, I don't know how he would feel about it being uh, translated at this point. Um, uh, so uh, in an ideal world, it would all be available and it would all be translated and you would sort of have a, a full picture of who he was as an artist. I feel a little guilty that I kind of edited his work to my taste and, and released the small handful of books that, that doesn't really paint a true portrait of him as an artist. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Um, all right. Should we send it? Yeah. Sign it? Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for coming You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.